With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. So in order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to pay attention to and hear about. But we need to learn a little more about you to make that happen. And I would love to learn more about the audience. So go to PodSurvey, that's P-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y, PodSurvey.com slash James, and take a quick totally anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way we can bring on advertisers and, and even content that you won't want to skip. So once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash James, J-A-M-E-S. Thanks for your help. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. I don't want to be writing a... This is not a breakup book. Right. Okay? This is a book that shows you, one, first of all, loving yourself is very possible, very simple, very doable. Second, it shows you exactly how to do it in a way that's just almost systematic. It's almost like a, here's the manual, right? Just very simple how to do it. And there's no bubble baths or candles. It's internal work, right? It's like internal mastery, right? And which is actually way easier than we think. And the third is, here, let me show you actually how I've done it when I fell apart and I had to reapply this all over again from scratch to basically rebuild myself. Let me show you the inside. And it doesn't matter what the external was, what the reason was, because we all go through things that are hard for us. That doesn't matter. What matters is the internal work. What was like the first exercise you did? You realized, okay, you're known for the book Love Yourself. You realize you were somehow disconnected from it during this period. What was the first exercise you did to get yourself back on track? Well, you know, the funny thing is, um, this experience and I share it, I was so deeply embarrassed at myself for letting myself get here internally, for falling apart like this. Because I know better, right? I should have been doing the work. I know better. And regardless of the amount of pain I was in, um, I knew better, yet I wasn't doing it. And so I didn't go about it the way I should have, and I write about them. And even though I didn't, it still works, right? It goes back to the very basics. Here are the fundamental basics of loving yourself. The first is forgiving yourself. You gotta forgive, if you're gonna go into the future, you gotta let go of the past. So I have a very simple exercise that I do to forgive myself. What were some of the things you had to forgive yourself of? Fucking every, excuse my language, anything, man. Kamal, this is the moment I've been waiting for for like six years, seven years. Seven years. Seven years. Your your book came out, your first book, which was you, you published like in your garage or whatever, <laughs> and you uploaded it to Amazon. It sold how many copies of that first self-published book uh, uh, sell, if you're allowed to say? Yeah, I'm, I can say anything. Uh, I think it sold close to about a half a million copies. Half a million copies. 
I remember for a while you were paying your, 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 at least it was enough to pay rent, the amount you were making every month, right? And then some, that was like your, it could have been like what you were making per month. Cause I knew the numbers, what you were making per month would have been like for me when I first moved to New York, like triple my salary. Yeah. It was amazing. Cause that was when I had lost everything and I was starting from scratch. Actually, I was living off credit cards and I put this little book out and it took off. And I started paying my rent and my then my living expenses in San Francisco, which is not a cheap city. And then I didn't live badly either. It was amazing. No, and I remember, well, first off, you know, you had self-published it. This was, came out even a year before Choose Yourself. And I was all about self-publishing. You self-published it rather than wait the year and a half or two years it would take to get through an agent, a, a, a publisher, an editor, a marketing department, bookstores. You just wrote it in like a week or two. A month. A month uploaded it to Amazon, and then it was like a mega, mega hit. You, How many reviews also do you have on it? Uh, close to 4,000, I think. 4,000. So I remember one time a major publisher told me, if you get 1,300 reviews, your book is going to live forever, meaning it'll always be selling every month. And so 4,000 reviews, your book is going to be living forever. And I guess the idea is with that many people passionate enough to review it, word of mouth will continue to spread forever. So in 4,000 reviews, that's more than like, Anybody. I mean, I don't know of any other self-published nonfiction book with 4,000 reviews. You're close, aren't you? Uh, no, I'm, I'm about 2,000. I'm I think half you're the to reviews three. of you. I think you're closer to three. No, no, no. I, I, I know exactly. It's 1,968 All right. Well, as of okay. this morning. I, I, I check my <laughs> reviews. Um, do you check your reviews? Do you, I mean, I've stopped checking my Amazon rank. It doesn't matter anymore, but uh, I, I check my reviews occasionally. I go read them, and sometimes I'll answer. Sometimes no, I'll, I'll leave a comment there. I wish you could directly respond to the person, but you can't, so I'll just leave a comment there sometimes. I hate when they put like a review that has nothing to do with the book. They just like don't like something else I've done and they give the book a one-star review, but now you have enough reviews that one star or five stars, nothing really changes the average, although I don't like it when they're recent. Anyway, these are you get obsessed with reviews and rankings when you first publish a book, but now love yourself lives forever, so you don't get... But now this new one, just come out, love yourself like your life depends on it, has the same title, and now this is with a major publisher, Harvard Collins. What was the process? Why'd you go from a self-published book to taking the exact same book and publishing it with a major publisher? How did well, it it's not the exact same book. It's significantly expanded. It's like four and a half times the size. Now, size doesn't matter. I mean, size, you know, and books actually for, for quality of content, right? Collins are welcome on this. <laughs> <laughs> right. So for quality of content, actually it's the content itself that matters, right? So the first book I wrote, the first version, you know, I wrote what I wish someone had given me when I was down and it works, you know, like based on what I did to, to really pull myself back up. And I didn't have it. I didn't want to write any more on it. I didn't want to, you know, I had publishers chasing me for years and my agent yeah. was after me for years. And, and I think he stopped talking to me. He was mad that I wouldn't sell it because I was like, look, yeah, publishers they need to make not... money, Kamal. You can't just have these conversations with them. Because <laughs> like, publishers once, uh, um, they don't like you. They just want to publish the next version of your book. Well, you know, they, they want to, they can't publish a small book. They can't make their money on it. They can't charge the amount that they normally do. And I refuse to actually do that. You know, this book was, Going, I was literally saving lives. It was literally I was getting emails from people that had like stopped them from killing themselves. Or so many people that like changed their lives. And um, the thing is, I get all these emails from readers. So I have like thousands, if not tens of thousands, of emails from readers um, over these six, seven years. And there's a pattern. 
right? So a lot of them very kind, very you know thankful, very wonderful. Then I also get questions, and I start to see a pattern in the questions, and I realized two. There's two reasons why I expanded this. The reason number one, I realized that look. I need to answer these questions. They're, they're all coming up for the same, the same ones are coming up for a reason because I didn't go deep enough. I didn't expect it to take off. Remember, we talked about this. I expect no one to buy it. Like I just put it out and I was going to give copies to friends. It and- took off so fast. I remember it. First off, a couple of things on what you just said. When you, I don't know if you, you probably do know this. I don't know why I know this. The book itself is 8,000 words. Okay, so the average book that a book, like a book publisher won't sign a deal with you unless you promise 60,000 words, right? So like your deal with HarperCollins probably said it needs to be between 60,000. No, and so- no, I was very adamant. It'll be what I wanted, what exactly what the book needs to but be. But if you had sent them 9,000 words, they would have sent it back to you. No, I, the draft that by the time, the draft that I finished as sold them was close to 40,000 words. Okay. So, so but, but you, back in 2012, you changed for me what the definition of a book was because your book was only 8,000 words, but it was, it, it's like a pamphlet practically, if you just count the words, right? Mm-hmm. But, but it was treated by the public because you, because you self-published on Amazon, you showed it doesn't matter how many words a book is. You, you, it was valuable. It had the key insights you wanted in there. And I think most books are 60,000 words of fluff anyway, because just yeah. to satisfy the publisher's contract. But it's just like TV shows. Everyone thinks, oh, a TV show is either a half hour or an hour, but you could change the definition. A TV show could be six minutes. A movie could be 27 minutes. Like, and a book, like you showed, could be 8,000 words. Like we, we kind of, the reason it's always 65,000 words in a publisher's mind is because that's what the book publisher, sorry, that's what the bookstore wants. If they're going to put it on its side and show the title on the spine, it needs to be 65,000 words. So it's thick enough. And by the way, if it's 120,000 words, it's too expensive to print. So they can't have that either. So all these, the size of books have been dictated by the needs of of either the printers or the bookstores. And you were kind of saying with your first version of this book, hey, 8,000 words, that's what I want to say. That's a book. And then it, it did just take off at that point and, and, and it, it never stopped. Well, you know, and and I'll say for nonfiction because I've also written fiction, right? For nonfiction, if you're trying to get a point across and really help and share something of value, it's the quality of content that matters, not the quantity, right? And so that's something I struggled with expanding this because it was like I didn't want to expand it for the sake of expanding. I refused to. It was doing just fine. I didn't need to, right? So I started to work on answering these questions. That was like a year-long process. I've gone through many, many drafts. And I realized in the process of answering these questions that the first version, I didn't go deep. And like the people were struggling because I didn't share uh, with the questions I was getting consistently, the certain questions kept coming up again and again, was the fact that like, look, I didn't share the whole thing. I need to go deep. And also I need to also create a structure that people could just follow. What do you mean you you didn't go deep? Because there's nuances. There's a lot like of nuances that I didn't share. That I that for example, like you know, what happens when you first start doing the practice and how the mind rebels and what to do about it. All right, so so let's let's stop there for a second because let's explain what the practice is. So the book was called just like this book is. It's the same book but expanded. Love yourself like your life depends on it. There's a lot different in this book. I agree with you. We'll get into that in a second. But I remember at the time, you were sick. And I even visited, we had never even met yet, but we had emailed over the years, like dozens and dozens of times. 
and I was going to go meet you and your brother and a couple other people. And you just didn't show up and you didn't even respond to your brother's emails. And finally, fortunately, the day we were going to head out of San Francisco, we, we met in, in the lobby there and, and we After met. The W Hotel, I remember yeah, that. But you were, you were sick and you were like literally out of action. You were down for the count. Like you, your, your business had gone bad. Other things had, had, had gone bad. You were, you were, the, the stress was affecting your health and like you describe in the book, you were like barely could get out of bed in the morning. You were you were depressed and physically unwell. Like other diseases and illnesses were were coming up. Like what was what was going on? Like that led you to this <laughs> diseases bottom and point. illnesses. You know, plagues and locusts. <laughs> yeah, all these diseases were popping up all over your body. I don't know about that. You were like a yeah, leper. Like... <laughs> but you no, kind of worked. You I were gone. In, you were leaving your house. Yeah, I was just in a bad place and. And what got me out of it was something really interesting. It was like making a decision that I was going to get out of it. And how I did it was I actually sat down and wrote a vow to myself. And I really do believe in the transformative power of commitment. You wrote it down on paper. I wrote it down on paper. And what surprised me was this vow that I wrote, which is a moment of desperation, was a vow to love myself. It wasn't a vow to get better. It wasn't a vow to get out of it. It came from somewhere deep within me, and it was a vow to love myself. Well, did you feel like... A, did you feel like you weren't loving yourself? I didn't even know what that was. Mm -hmm. So that's what surprised me that that's what came out. It's almost, it's almost like something deep within me knew that I needed that. And also, I something deep within me knew that if I make a vow, I'm sticking to it. Like I almost have like this mental thing where if I make a commitment, I literally see ships behind me exploding. I have this image of ships behind me. There is no going back. If I'm committed, I'm committed, I'm it. So what does it mean? Like I, I sort of feel like, I, I sort of understand what you mean, but like if I just say, oh, I love myself, there's lots of questions. Like who, am I loving my behaviors? Am I loving something deeper inside of me? And I'm not trying to be uh, kind of superficial about it, but what do, what does it mean to you to to love yourself and to make that kind of commitment? Well, at the time I didn't know, I had no idea. All it was was I was basically trying to save myself. Um, I was in a really bad place, um, and and this vow came out of nowhere, and I had to go and figure it out. Now I didn't know how to do it. I didn't sit down and read books on it. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't watch YouTube videos or anything. I I just basically sat around and thought, okay, I made a vow, so I got to do this, and so I got to figure it out. Now one thing I know is like as far as uh, improving yourselves go, it's an internal thing. It's like the mind and the heart. It's like working on the inside makes you better. So rather than working on the outside, I started working. I, I wasn't sitting around taking bubble baths and lighting candles and incense. Um, I just started working on on my inside, on my mind. I just started trying every crazy thing I could think of to make myself start to love myself. And very and because I was doing it obsessively, very quickly I started to notice things I were doing that started to shift my mind. They started to shift a little bit. If it shifted it better. I kind of went down it. And if it were, kept working, I kept going further. If it didn't, I just threw it away. I didn't care. I, it was like a clinical... So what things were you, were you trying? I don't remember, man. It was seven years ago. Any crazy thing you can think of. Someone said, sit there and try to figure out how to love yourself and all the things you're going to try on the inside. I've, I've been through them. Because right. you, you give lots of specific exercises in this version and of the so, book now. Yeah, because this you weren't, is... What, you didn't give specific exercises in that book. Because this is what was left, what actually worked. And so I came down with like basically what worked. I started doing it now on a regular basis and it just really worked, put together. 
And actually, that's that was one of the failings in the original version. I didn't show how to like basically have a system, like a real system with just basic things to do fundamentally on the inside that don't take much time as part of your regular um, act of living and breathing as a human being on this planet that actually cause you to start feeling love for yourself. And when you do, what's really interesting is your thoughts, your emotions, your feelings start to arise from there. It's almost like your, your internal state starts to shift. And all it is, in the end, is, is a state shift. Because when you, stay, when you shift your foundation that you're expressing yourself from, uh, you shift and life shifts. It's really, really interesting how your life changes when you do that. I didn't expect that. I learned that by experiencing it. But I was literally just trying to save myself and I didn't know how... I didn't even believe in like loving myself. I mean, I never took a course on it. I didn't go to college for it. <laughs> you know, I've studied like what I studied in college, economics and biology. You know, like neither one of them has classes on loving yourself. I don't have a YouTube certification on loving myself. You know, like this. I was never that guy. I'm a guy who does stuff. You know, just, I guess people grow up. This is that whole thing where people grow up very goal oriented, right? So you you start off first grade and the goal essentially is to get A's until you get into 12th grade, which by then you're getting into a good college. And then you go to college, you're either getting into a good graduate school or you're getting a good job. And then you're supposed to get a family and the kids are supposed to do well and the cycle for humanity repeats. But no one at any point says, okay, if you're going to have, if you're going to maximize your personal, very short experience on this planet, you have to love what you're doing from the inside out. This, this being, this crazy being that you are, you know, it's, it's look, I've been in places where I haven't and I've been in places where I have. And I, let me tell you, it's far better when you're loving yourself. But, but like, like, the experience you feel of like, life is better. Do you feel like you were outsourcing that love to other conditions or people? Like for of instance, of like, course. like you're, you, you had a business that was going, you were outsourcing, yeah. like maybe I'll love myself when that business succeeds or maybe you were in a relationship, maybe I'll love myself when this relationship works out. Well, you know, I can't say I was thinking that way. I was never thinking I would love myself. You know, I don't think most of us do. Most of us don't think in those terms. It was more of a our sense of self, our sense of well-being, our sense of self-worth, our self-esteem. All these things that are tied into loving ourselves. If loving yourself is a foundation, these things naturally rise from there. Those were definitely tied. Like when my business fell apart, I fell apart. My entire sense of worth, my ego... You know, yeah, like because was, was tied you, into that business. Did you raise money for that business? Well, I self-funded it for many years until I ran out of the, all the money I'd saved. You know, and I'd made good money for ten years, and and then I raised money, and it was like, you know, like somewhat of a who's who, and like a lot of people, this was expected to do really well. So I had all that pressure, right? And when it blew up, um, you know, I kind of took it so personally that I blew up with it without realizing the fact that look, I worked my ass off, I gave it my all. That's the best you can do in a business is give your all, you know. Especially in tech businesses, with in the industry I was in, um, you know, it's like there's so much luck and involved because there's so many big players and how they move chess pieces, and you're just a small pawn, and you know, one piece gets moved, and there's a downstream effect, and all these pawns just get washed out. You don't think about that. You just think about I failed versus no, I gave it my all. The business failed. Very big difference. But you, but when your ego is tied to the result of this external thing, uh, if it fails, you're going to go with it. Yeah, totally. Like, uh, in particular, you were living in Silicon Valley, the home of tech billionaires. Every business supposedly turns into gold and your business was doing well for so many years and then suddenly, because of you know various things, it, it, it collapses. And there's a big ego thing. Like, everyone does look at you and say, oh, uh, 
he's a failure. And that's depressing. Yeah, the funny thing is, I don't know if people look at you and think that. It's more like we do that ourselves. I think people also look at you and think that. I don't think so, I think there's so, a man. schadenfreude kind of thing where they're happy you fail a little. I don't know. I, I don't think so. Like, I think most people are better than that. And um, I didn't get that sense. Okay. Because like, what, what, I didn't get that sense. I actually think people are better than that, honestly. I don't think people are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm actually, you know, one thing I'll tell you, putting this book out to the world, it just taught me how good and kind people are. Just how many people reached out to me afterwards and just what they share with me. That's actually another reason why I did this expanded version because it's amazing what people share with me about their lives. Like stuff I bet you that they're like their closest partner doesn't know, they'll email me and tell me. Well, you know, it's right? funny because... Um, there's nonfiction books that educate people, but no one goes up to a writer of a history book and says, oh my God, you've changed my life. But with a book, and also I think with self-help books, most are so blah with kind of like regurgitated advice that no one's ever tried. Or there's there's a category of self-help books which are academic-based. So research shows if you, know, if you do this, this, and this, you're probably going to be less shy than other people in social situations. And then you'll be happier 36 days later. Like I don't like those kinds of self-help books either, but I feel like with Love Yourself and to some extent with some of the books I've written, people will come up to you and say, your book had an effect on me. And I think that is valuable regardless of number, the number of copies sold. Oh, it's beautiful. And you know, one thing I realized how I was shortchanging my readers was when they shared me a lot of their stuff and what they were struggling with, I've been to those things, but I never shared them. And in this version, I decided to, and, and look, I'm scared about people knowing things about me that like about my childhood and stuff that I don't really need people, people I know to know, right? But why do I do it? Two reasons. One is because one, I want people to know they're not alone. Right, this happens to more people than you realize. Uh, two, is to show them how I overcame it using this loving myself practice. You know, like I all these things. You know, no matter what the details. And you know, I was joking with someone, like, all right, if you want to look at shitty childhoods, I've been. Yeah, I can. You can. I can check off a lot of boxes except maybe Civil War. <laughs> you know, and it's like, but look, what I what I look back at now is thanks to this this uh, you know partially significantly thankful to loving myself, it's like, look back at this child and just feel like gratitude to this child for surviving and getting through so I could be the man I am today. And I share how I've done that, you know, in this book, purely because I know so many of my readers, what they were struggling with. And I want to share with them, like, look, no matter what happens, no matter what we've been through, it's like who we become, who we choose to become and how we approach ourselves with this filter, so this foundation, it transforms everything. So we don't have to be victims of our past. We could be heroes of that story. Right, so I want to get into that and some of the specific exercises you give for that have helped you towards loving yourself. But I think what what's interesting is you back in 2012, you know, you were in this point where you were depressed, it was keeping you from getting out of bed and then it was triggering illnesses that were further keeping you from getting out of bed. You were like, again, knocked out. I love how you say illnesses. I mean- I'm trying to avoid like the plague, but, uh, but it's true. And, and, like and for it, people's firstborn kids were dying, you know, <laughs> and it, it, it's not as if re- loving yourself helps you forever. It's like, okay, now I'm cured. It's like, this is a practice you have to keep doing. Cause I've seen you since then, you know, whenever, you know, life is hard and whenever, 
things falter, you have to remind you, you always remind me, you always call mm -hmm. me and say, are you doing your practice? Whenever, you know, if I call you and I start saying this, 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 and this, rather than giving me advice, which is really what I wanted from you, you would say, are you doing your practice? And I, oh, I knew he was going to say that again. And, you know, for you, I've seen you since the book first came out, go through lots of things. And I think that's what led to the expanded material in this book. Like what were some of those things that- Yeah, there's, there's a lot more, you know, first of all, I've grown as a human being. I've grown as a writer so I can share more in a way that that's helpful. Um, well, like what were some of the things that got you down where you had to really remind yourself and you maybe even refine the ways in which you were, you know, saying to yourself, I love myself. Yeah, because it wasn't just saying, it's, a, it's you know, that's why there's a practice that actually creates a way of being. Um, look, um, I think the, the, the fundamentally the, the worst, the, the stupidest thing I've done over the years is eventually I'll get lazy. You know, I'll start getting really good at it. I'll get lazy and I'll coast, you know, where I'll just slow down the practice. And it's like going to the gym. You know, if, you, if you've been overweight all your life and then you just make a commitment to get in shape for a year, you go every day, you go to the gym, you eat healthy, you get in great shape. But say two years later, you just say, ah, I'm going to eat bonbons for a while and just watch TV. What's going to happen? You, you know, your body's going to revert a bit. You know, oh, you know, same I wish you hadn't told me that. I've, I've been going to the gym. Do I have to do this forever? You know, same thing with the mind, man. Like, it's like, look, going to the gym is is great. It's a way, we're, we're, ultimate, we're also animals. You know, we walk around with this brain that's stuck in our head all day, but we're also animals that need to move. Um, I'm a big fan of going to the gym. And same thing with the mind. We got to always be working on the mind because it is, otherwise it's an untrained monkey. So what just was, running the show. What was specific? So you coasted, and then what was specifically happening to you that led to? You said this is very different, and I know it because I, there's expanded content. There's there's more storytelling in this. Um, there's a lot more situations that you had to deal with. What were some of those situations that you specifically deal with? What's different? What's more? Well, look, um, in this book, I picked a particular one, right, and and I showed showed it where I went through a really really hard time. Um, and I kind of fell apart here. And it was a, it was a breakup. It, it was, was a romantic breakup. breakup. It was a breakup, but a very significant one, very difficult one. And what, I what was difficult about it? Because this is someone I love so much, still do, love so much that that it just I just couldn't believe it was happening. I well, couldn't get over it. Well, you couldn't believe that she no longer wanted to, at that moment at least, spend her life with you. You couldn't believe you weren't going to spend your life with her. I just what was happening, you know. And look, before we get lost in the details, there, there's, I don't want to be writing a. This is not a breakup book, right? Okay? This is a book that shows you one. First of all, loving yourself is very possible, very simple, very doable. Second, it shows you exactly how to do it in a way that's just almost systematic. It's almost like a, here's the manual, right? Just very simple how to do it. And there's no bubble baths or candles. That's your thing. It's it's internal work, right? It's not my thing specifically. Yeah, but. it's it's like internal mastery, right? And which is actually way easier than we think. And the third is, here, let me show you actually how I've done it when I fell apart and I had to reapply this all over again from scratch to basically rebuild myself. Let me show you the inside. Like don't, so it's not like, it, and it doesn't matter what the external was, what the reason was, because we all go through things that are hard for us. You know, for for someone, it may be something else, going through a business or a health diagnosis or this or that. That doesn't matter. What matters is the internal work. So I picked this thing because it was raw and real and honest. 
very honest, and at the same time showed exactly how I'm applying it to get better. So it's almost like here's here's how you look. One's convince you it's possible. Two, here's how to do it. And three, here, watch it in action. And that's where actually I can also show the nuances involved. All the different nuances, the internal things that come up that you deal with. Because the mind is, the mind, you know, is not, the mind just jumps around. Mind does this thing. I could be loving myself today, but tomorrow it could be just all over the place because of whatever, something external happening, or it just remembers something painful, it goes all over. And how do you keep working on it? How do you keep working on it? And how that builds and builds and builds. And that part, it's a true story. In fact, every single word in this book is true. You know, when I was, uh, HarperCollins, uh, the editor, you know, when I was going through their initial edits, you know, she had put in some stuff that wasn't true. And I said, why did you put it there? Because she said, it sounds better. And I said, I won't do it. What, 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 can, I, can I ask what was the line? I don't remember, man. Because mm-hmm. I threw away most of what the edits were. And I was like, I had a very strong vision for this book. I had a very strong vision for the original one. So I, and also now that I have all this connection with my readers and all this communication with my readers, I know what they're asking for because they asked me for it. So I'm, I'm giving them the book, the answers that they asked for. Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hiring is hard. Hiring great people is almost impossible in today's world with only 3% unemployment. But it's a new year, the perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people. Finding qualified candidates, again, can be challenging. Fortunately, ZipRecruiter.com slash James makes it easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. ZipRecruiter is definitely the tool I would use to hire people. And just to do a little experiment, I signed up for ZipRecruiter to apply for jobs. And it's very interesting to see the kind of opportunities that ZipRecruiter is emailing me. More on that on another episode. But right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash James. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash James, J-A-M-E-S. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So let's say someone's in this situation. You had this this breakup, and we could maybe get more in the weeds in that in a second. But um, whether or not you want to, but um, yeah. <laughs> what what was like the first exercise you did? You realize, okay, you're known for the book Love Yourself. You realize you were somehow disconnected from it during this period. What was the first exercise you did to get yourself back on track? Well, you know, the funny thing is, um, this experience, and I share share it. I was so deeply embarrassed at myself for letting myself get there internally, for falling apart like this. Because I know better, right? I should have been doing the work. I know better. And regardless of the amount of pain I was in, um, I knew better. Yet I wasn't doing it. It's almost, and so I didn't go about it the way I should have. And I write about that. I'm like, look, and even though I didn't, it still works, right? But, but, it's like the it was it goes back to the very basics. Here are the fundamental basics of that I that of loving yourself, right? The first is forgiving yourself. You gotta forgive you if you're gonna go into the future, you gotta let go of the past. 
So I have a very simple exercise that I do to forgive myself. What right? were some of the things you had to forgive yourself of? Fucking every, excuse my language, anything, okay. man. And look, it doesn't matter. You can sit there and forgive yourself for it being raining outside. doesn't matter. No, but I was trying to think about this. I don't know what I would forgive myself for. Try the exercise, man. See what comes I, up. I did. I, I couldn't. It felt weird forgiving myself of things. Not that. I don't know why. Okay. I mean, that's great. Maybe you don't carry any weight, you know, like no, I, I did. I, I did, man. And I do. Like what was an example of something you forgave yourself for? For, man, this, I don't know. I don't, for maybe like for, you know, there were times like where maybe I've, I, maybe I failed or I didn't give enough or I, whatever, whatever I was holding against myself. It, that's the thing. It really doesn't matter. The whole point of this exercise is not to like think of what is someone else forgiving themselves for. It's the point is what is the weight that I'm carrying and to feel it and then finally let go. That's what the exercise does. And it's actually a very simple one and it actually is freeing. It, and, and, and then from there you go on and say, okay, now it comes down to commitment. I'm going to commit to myself. I'm going to make a vow to love myself. And it's, and it's because you've let go of, of what you're holding yourself, now you can actually commit. Now it's committing from a free and open space. And then the rest is how do you do it? And that's the internal work. And it all starts with, you know, people, one of the criticisms I got uh, with the original book was, oh, the guy just says, you know, go around saying to yourself, I love myself, I love myself. That's where I realized also I had failed because that's not the point. That was just the very, very tip of the beginning. That was just the very basic thing that I started doing when I was at bottom, which was, I was like, well, let me just try. I didn't know what to do. So let me try telling myself that. But you start that, what you start doing is you start building like a little mental groove in your brain, you know, like neurons that wire together, fire together, right? You're just building a strong mental groove. And then you add feeling. Because look, we, we do manufacture our feelings. We're way more in control of feelings than we realize. We can literally sit here and shift our state if we really wanted to. And you start doing it slowly, gently, and before you know it, you're actually walking around thinking and feeling love for yourself. And that in itself is a beautiful thing. But then you move forward. You add a, you add a meditation like a seven. For me, it's seven minutes long. And these days, I'm actually doing it five minutes long. That's it. Nothing major. Once a day, and then and then you take another level. You do in front of a mirror. That's it. And then you know, I've added. Then then what I've done is in this book, I'm also added all these different nuances that I do. That you can take it to the next level, right? That I've actually learned since I first wrote the book to this point. Because at this point. Um, and I never, and I never finished the the question you asked, which was, you know, why expanded. So the first was like, look, I knew this this book, I had held back a lot, and I'm getting the question readers, and people are stumbling as well. Even though as much as it's helping, people are stumbling, and one of the biggest stumbling blocks was how to make it last. How do I create the system that I've actually used? That whenever I use it over time, it just works for long periods of time. It's just my own personal laziness that stops. That eventually I start coasting, right? Um, so that was one, but then the second thing was, it was, this book was self-published on Amazon. Amazon's been in the United States and a couple of Western countries outside of that, no real presence as, as far as like Kindle goes or whatever, but I was getting emails from all over the world, you know, so people were torrenting this book, which is a, you know, which is okay. But that's a hell of an honor. People are actually taking the time to yeah. like, pirate your book, you know, which is actually kind of cool. And, and 
all over the world. And then some of them had actually started translating it, putting it out because like, this book is too important. I got to share it, which kind of annoyed me because they were like, oh, I'm going to put my name on it. I'm like, you have no idea what it takes to write a book. How I literally bleed and sweat for every word. And you just, tra- because you translated it, probably a crappy translation, right? And you put your name on it and you think that that signifies that you've done the work. It really bothered me. But second was, look, there's a need for this book out there. A lot of people reached out. I would get a lot of emails saying from women saying, I want to get this for my mother, but she doesn't speak English. Can you make that happen? And I also realized I want to put, I owe it to this book. It's, I feel like a strong, strong responsibility to this book. I owe it to this book to put it out in the world in a bigger way so that, so that it goes off and does its thing. There's no more of these Kamal holding back, Kamal's only put on Amazon, people are copying it, putting their own versions on it, put their name on it. It's just like this, this haphazard thing. Let me really put out what I really want to say. It's been seven years. I've learned a lot since then. I've grown a lot since then. I, I, I have a lot more to say on this subject that actually is really helpful. So I can't do that on my own. And even in today's world, with self-publishing and all that, you can't. You got to go through a publisher. You got to get foreign rights deals. You know, and, and yeah, then let's it, talk about that for a second because yeah. I do think for many people, and obviously a, a million people agree that how many books were self-published last year, roughly. Um, I do think self-publishing is often the best way. But sometimes you need to, even if you, like for me, I've published through pub, mainstream publishers my first five, six, seven, eight books. Then I self-published a bunch of books. Now for my very next book, I'm doing a mainstream publisher again. I think it's important every now and then to recognize the pros and cons of both. But what 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 is the pro, the pro? I'll tell you, there's pros and cons. So when I was meeting different publishers with my agent, right? Most of them, I got the sense they would look at me like, huh, here's a marketable quantity. I'm a very marketable guy. You know, this book is very easily marketable. How do we make money? You know, we're going to make money off this, right? I mean, look, I've been in business long enough. I can figure people out when I'm sitting across the table and you're doing a deal. It's very, very, you know, you, it becomes very easy, right? So, but then I met Harper One, which is a division of HarperCollins, and they published uh, The Alchemist, which is my favorite book of all time. And Gideon Weil, um, who was the guy who was the acquiring guy there, and and his um, his editor uh, uh, Sidney Rogers had a meeting with them with my agent, and I walked away thinking, "Oh my God, they get the book." He sat there and explained the book to me in a way better than I'd explained to myself. Yeah, how did he? What did he say that really impressed you? I don't remember, man. Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong. I'm like, you, I'm you killing remember. you. What's wrong with your memory? You're I'm getting killing, older. Look, man, I was remember I was almost dead, uh, uh, basically That's dead three true. months ago. I'm still healing. Um, so I got some, some you got an excuse. Yeah. Um, but what they did was they got it. And what I wanted was a partner. I wanted someone who would work with me in getting this book out in a way that actually this book deserved. And I knew that if I had the right partner, I could focus on just creating the best book I could. And they would focus on getting it out in the best way they could. And you, and you trust that because that was always my initial not so much my current thing. My current thing's in the middle, but you you, you trusted that that they would do it and not just say it. I took a much lower advance than I would have than mm. I was willing to to go with them, honestly. Mm. I, I took a bet on them. Mm. And you know what? It's completely paid off. They love this book. They're so like, look, the, the you know, it went down to like the cover. They came up with the cover. I remember telling them like, look, 
don't make this look like a regular self-help book cover because I'm not a self-help guy. I'm a guy who does stuff, who's making a statement, who's sharing something from his experience. Right, Like, and, and by the way, the cover, just to describe it, it looks like kind of a Banksy yeah. sort of cover. And it does look like the sort of cover that if you are walking the bookstore, you could potentially see this on the front table and you'd be curious enough to pick it up as opposed to just some self-help thing like you know the power of forgiveness and it's all in some fancy I'm, yeah i'm not a, and, i'm not really a fan of self-help you know because i think most of it comes it comes from theory it's very easy right. to write to tell someone what to do from theory or what we think we should do it's very easy to tell someone how to get in shape it's another thing to have been fat, out of shape, to get chiseled and share that journey and share the nuances and also the suffering and then the overcoming that suffering. Well, I think that's, that's important. Real. I think this is an important part of writing, which is that writing is not a, a cooking recipe. Writing is storytelling. And well, you know, your everything here comes out of the out of the storytelling. And then you realize, oh, this is how it works. This is how he did it. Also, I'm a writer. I fundamentally care about the craft of the written word. Like, I'm a writer first, the venture capital, all this stuff second. Like, I was put on this earth to write. You know, books saved me when I was a child. They were my refuge and to be able to write books. And I've worked, and you know, I've worked obsessively on the craft of writing. Like, every, every single word, every single comma, every word in here has been written and rewritten and rewritten. And so much has been thrown out. Like, when I, when I sold it to them, and they came back to me with their editorial edit. They come back with like this uh, big, large edit. I looked at it, I read it, and I got, had a call with them and with Sydney. And to their to her credit, I was like, "Look, I can't do this. This is not the book I wrote. You've turned this into a self help book. I never set out to write an average self help book. I started to write this book, and this book works for a reason because it's not your average self help book. It's a real book. It's an honest book. It's and you know, so I taken." I'd taken all her work that she'd done for like weeks and I just said, I'm not going to do it. And to, to her credit, and which would really, I was like, okay, I chose the right partner. She's like, okay, go do what you got to do. You know, you understand your readers. And I just kind of went at it. And when I turned in what I did, she was like, yeah, you're right. You know, because um, it's, you know, it's a very interesting lesson, James, when you feel a responsibility towards something or something that we really care about, we want to cut corners. You know, there's, there's no way I would have, I, if they'd said, no, that's the, it's going to be this way. I would have like got my lawyer involved and broken that contract. I would have refused to publish. I mean, I think that takes a lot of courage. Like, I feel like, I feel like there's always the temptation to self-sabotage and say, okay, well, I'm going to go along with their suggestions, but then if it doesn't work, it's their fault, not no, mine. No, no, this book is too important. That's the, th that's the thing. That's the lesson there, James. When you have something that's more important than you. That's more important yeah. than my ego. If it was my ego, I would have just continued self-publishing. I would, you know, like I was making, like, look, I make good money doing other things, but I was making good money off this book, and I owned all of it. Yeah. Right. And I actually went with a lower advance. And you know, advance you got to remember is just an advance of royalties. In the end, is what's the book gonna make? But I wanted them because they understood the book, and I also could tell that they cared about it enough that they were willing to work with me as kind of like that. You know, the guy who was obsessed on just crafting this book to his vision. Well, also, I feel like, and you 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 touched upon this a little bit earlier, but I sort of feel like if something excites you, you feel it inside. You say, oh, this would be, like you probably felt like this was the right moment to to pursue this expanded version of this idea based on what you had been through, based on what you've learned, based on where you were as a writer. And so that was exciting you. 
And if you do, and that kind of creates this compass almost in your heart. And if you don't, if you veer from the direction that this is almost sounds too wishy-washy, but if you veer from the direction that compass is telling you, it just doesn't feel good. And I think you stayed on target. You stayed on compass. Yeah. And you know, honestly, I think it was the, the original version, putting it out that was purely mine, right? That taught me like, look, you know, what I, what I had originally thought of worked, right? And also then all the feedback from readers and learning from them. Right, what they so you had that mountain of experience I and, did. and feedback. And in the end, you got to trust yourself. Yeah. You know, you got to trust your gut as the creator. In the end, a creator has to trust their gut more than what anyone else says around them. Well, you have this quote. It's a great quote because I, I, I live my own writing this way. You say, if it scares me, there is magic on the other side. And I think people, and you mentioned it about this book was very, this expanded version was very personal. You were almost afraid what people would think of you. Oh, I, I very much am. Yeah, I still think if if you're not scared of what people think of you, you probably shouldn't do it because then you're not doing anything unique. If you're just doing something that's in the same club as everyone else, oh, hey, we're all in the same club now. Nice to see you. Good to see you here. Then it's no good. There's no reason for somebody to buy your book. They could just buy anyone else's book who's in that club. But if you say something that scares you, that means almost by definition, it's going to be unique. I feel like vulnerability, this is going to sound Machiavellian, but vulnerability is, is, a, is a price you pay for freedom. So you're vulnerable, and then that allows you to be free in this new category you create. So people will say, oh, he talks about this. No one else does. They buy the book, but now you're in this new area, this new free area where you're allowed to say what, what you were afraid to say. You know, people use that word a lot. I prefer the word, uh, just be real. Like that's one thing, you know, I have an obsession with writing what is true. What is the truth? What is the fundamental emotional truth. And and in the end, beyond that, I have no desire for anyone to read my journal. I don't write my journal. You know, I don't write but my- But vulnerable could be, uh, you know, it's not like you say everything. It's not like radical honesty. It's just sort of like what you feel. All storytelling is some sort of, sort of vulnerability so that you let people into your life a little bit so that they become on your side in terms of how you get out of this difficult situation you put yourself in. Well, it's also like, in the end, it's like, what's a value? you go and strip away every word that's not of value. Like I literally go word by word and stripping words that are not of value. You know, um, like even after this, this um, you know, our last podcast that we did, we were talking about basically was, you know, died from severe trauma, you know, just a few months ago. Um, I was in severe narcotics uh, when I got out and the surgeon said like, you, if anyone qualifies, right? And narcotics are good. You know, they take away the pain, they dull you, they make you care less about the pain. And within a week, I went off from cold turkey and I was in a significant pain, like significant. Why did I go off cold turkey? I'm not that crazy. Like, I, you know, I would, have, I would have taken them, but I was getting the early galleys of this book and I had to go review them and go word by word to make sure that things didn't get changed around. Because then every time you, they send you one, the, every version, something has moved around or, or copied or someone's put in a words, you know, which I can immediately go through and recognize a word that's not mine. It's really funny. I've yeah. done that. It's, it's creepy, but because I wrote every word and I care about every word, but I couldn't do that on those narcotics. Maybe I could, but I didn't want to. I wanted my mind to be clear. So I went off them. You know, it's very interesting. Uh, when you, how, what, what were the narcotics? I'm not gonna ask me the names. I I just know 
you know, the usual, the 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 Percocets and this and that. You know, I was also an IV once, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I went clean, just completely just stopped because the moment I got that in my inbox, I was like, okay, I got to work on this. I stopped. And it's really, it was a really interesting lesson, you know, like how you have, when you have something you care about so deeply, that's so important, that's bigger than you. This book is bigger than me. This book's going to be around long after I'm gone, right? And it's going to continue changing lives and people I've never met, right? So it's, I, I, I owed it to this book to not focus on my pain, to get beyond the pain and give it everything I had, you know, and that, and that comes from like that, you know, that's so important as when you create content, you have your vision and you, and you care more about this than your little self. So, so like you're going through this breakup and you were getting into that dark spot again, that when I knew you in 2012, when, when you were going through that and you, and you initially wrote the first the earlier love yourself, what, what does it mean to to love yourself? It's not like an ego thing. It's not like, oh, I'm the greatest. No, it's actually interesting. It's not being selfish. You know, a lot of people, I've met people who told me they love themselves and been, and they use as justification for selfish actions, which I think is is um, emotional laziness. That's, that's, I know. agree. And I think, I think I, got, I had the same reaction on choose yourself. Everyone's like, oh, that's a pretty selfish title, but they don't realize you've got to, take care of yourself on the inside in order to help. It's sort of like that cliche, like you have to make your bed before you can save the world. You know, and I think, um, honestly, when you love yourself, at least I've known with myself and other people I've known, when you love yourself, you're way more loving and giving to others. Rather than trying to be loving and giving to others, you just do. Because you also realize the price everyone pays. You know, you realize the price you've paid and you don't want others to pay the price. What do you mean the price that you've paid? Like the price that you pay for when you're not loving yourself or when you are being selfish, you know, you, others pay the price for it. And there's no need for others to pay the price for, for our own internal shittiness. You know, like, like, um, yeah, you just realize there's no need. Like you just become, when you love yourself, you become kinder and more loving to others. It's really, really interesting. So it's not being selfish. It's not being narcissistic. It's the opposite of narcissism, actually. Narcissism is an obsessive, like almost like a dark focus on oneself and but portraying out the opposite out to kind of like have control or to well I don't even know like I'm no expert in narcissism but I've met a couple and I never thought to um, in for a second I'm like oh this person loves themselves it's quite obvious it was right. quite the opposite and so like yeah. it's almost like this superpower loving yourself because you're instantly able to protect yourself like put up boundaries where where needed like there's always issues like oh I don't know how to say no often because people don't internally love themselves enough they think everyone will hate them and that will affect their own view of themselves because they're not they don't have that internal strength and it also allows you to handle difficult situations better because you know this doesn't some difficult situation doesn't have to tamper with how you feel your your internal happiness and your internal success yeah it's really it comes down to an internal thing you know like um we're always walking around trying to control our outside when really the only thing we can truly control in life is our inside. And when you develop like a solid foundation on the inside, at least when I've had a solid foundation on the inside, the outside just works. And you don't get to let yourself, or I don't let myself get buffeted by life. Can you give me a, a specific example? Um, like once you started getting back into the practice and you started to move past this breakup in this specific situation. I know you really well, let's had a lot go, of let's go, let's go back to the original. Let, let's, okay. let's go to something really close uh, that happened recently. Um, 
really basically dying horribly, almost dying painfully horribly and still in pain and recovering from a freak accident that for all I know the surgeon screwed up for I went for elective surgery. That should not have happened, right? It was hard. It was a hard, trauma is hard. Physical trauma is hard. And yet, I was talking to this guy the other day and he said, look, you got to, and I was like, you know, he's like, look, you got to realize I know people who if their car breaks down, their entire day is shot. You actually are really like solid and giving and positive. Uh, and given that you're like talking to me and you're in pain right now, in physical pain. And then a couple of months ago, you were in unbearable pain. And even then, you were like positive. You were making people around you feel good. Like, what, you know, that says something. And I thought about it. I was like, huh. Uh, thanks. First of all, thanks for telling me that because I never thought of it that way. And second of all, it's kudos to who I am. It's kudos to who I've become. You know, and I think part of it comes from this. Part of this comes from working, always working on my inner self. You know, that that shows effects, you know, in in the hard times in life. You know, like when I mean, look, man, if I if anyone if you want to qualify a test, I was tested three months ago, right? I'm still like recovering and rebuilding my body and I'm um, you know, and I have rough moments. You know, pain is physical pain is a hard beast. And I've never gone back on the narcotics and I'm getting better, but it's a it's a hard beast. And you gotta face this beast, you know, you gotta face because the when you're in pain, it brings up all sorts of things, right? But when you're working on yourself, like it kind of takes those away because there's something deeper, there's something more still, something more. And love is not this walking around all the time feeling happy and jumping and shining from the rooftops. Love is more of a, of a, of a, of a lightness, of a solidness, of a trust in oneself, so, a so, peace. So what are some, like you said, there were some nuances now to the practice. There's a lot of nuances. Like what, yeah. what, what are some of the nuances you could, you could, really say uh look i mean they're in the book uh, you know like uh there's a lot of nuances to each part then even down from like every part of the forgiveness exercise to how to write the card to what the the vow the commitment is to even the mental loop and how to start what not to go get carried away into and i think some the of the physical exercise like the breathing i don't think that was in the initial no book. no this is this is like seven years of experience layered on top of the original book you know, like, because I continued working and refining. That's one thing I, you know, I'll say I have is I'm always working on myself to be better. Even in the laziness, I'll work on something else, you know. And so, like, even things like this is a beautiful practice where once you're doing this, a way to just keep on reinforcing it throughout the day, 10 breaths. Wherever I am, I'll stop and I'll pause. In the Uber here, I was doing that, right? I'll stop and I'll pause and I'll take 10 deep and purposeful, purposeful breaths. That's important, right? So it's not just your average breath. And we're going to breathe throughout the day anyway, whether we want to or not, right? So 10 deep and purposeful breaths where with the inhale, I feel light coming in. I feel love coming in for myself. And with the exhale, all I do is I feel gratitude. So inhale love, exhale gratitude. 10 breaths, that's it, done, move on. Do this throughout the day. And you know what? It really shifts the state of the day. It really shifts the state inside. It shifts the state outside. But does it last? Well, when you're doing these practices, all this is doing, this is reinforcing. It's like working out and then eating healthy. You know, they, they compound, they build upon each other, which is another thing I build upon here. I'm like, look, here's the whole practice. Here's how it compounds. Here's how you put it into place. And so that it all works. It's not like just do this one. It's not like, hey, only go and do squats or hey, only go, you know, eat healthy or this particular kind of food. It's more like put these together and you have yourself a complete program, a complete thing that's worked for me, that's worked for the readers I've shared it with. And it just 
makes you better. Just experience, you know, just try it and experience the magic for yourself. You know, life, our life, you know, like as I learned recently, and I've known this, is really, really short and can end really, really quickly before we know it. So why not have had given us this experience? So so when once you started, you know, you 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 had this breakup, you had this trauma, you've been going through this practice because you were also not only have you been living it since 2012, but but you were writing about it and you knew you recognized you needed to to live it even more. What did you start noticing about yourself once it started to kick in this time around? Like what? what yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, what, that's, what a, that's an interesting question. You start having internal ease about things, like that. That that's what it is. An internal ease happens. That um, the shift just start happens, and it doesn't happen. Um, right in the beginning, it's like like you know, it's like if you start working out. I love using this metaphor because I love working out. Right, if you start working out and you haven't worked out before, one day you're gonna walk in front of the mirror and you're gonna notice a change. You don't notice the first day or the third day. It's not like your trainer is gonna say on day number seventeen you're gonna know, right? But one day you walk in front of the mirror and you notice a change. Same thing here. You notice it in your mind. It's beautiful. You're like something has shifted because what you're doing is you're layering these grooves. You're layering in the neuron, the neuron patterns, the neural patterns, right? You're just like deepening them, deepening them, deepening them, and eventually they become like more of a way of being, you know. And they they fire more, they run more, and and then uh, so it was like more for the first step is actually like an internal ease. You know, it's a very interesting. Yeah, that's a great question, James. Uh, it's an internal ease. I think that's the best easiest way to well, describe and, it. And I noticed with you in the past few months, like you had you had your surgery. It's like gosh, now it was like three or four months ago. When was that? No, it's less than three months. I mean, look, I'm still, you know, it's like October, early October, October second. I'm still, um, yeah, I'm still recovering, man. But I noticed um, you. It was easier for you to say no to high stakes things, and and it just kind of blew over really quickly. Like it was almost like you had this superpower of saying no. Oh yeah, yeah, because you're because you yeah. I said no to some big things, and because. You know quickly. You know very well what matters. What matters the, is it's life all like the world organized itself around your no. Yeah. You know, and then I think because also, they were getting in the way of my life or love. Yeah. You know, and my love, like a love, and or my life, or like doing what I know is was right. Like uh, one of them, I was with people I knew they weren't doing right things, and I was like, I don't want to be a part of it. I sort of feel like also. Like I feel for myself when I'm not taking care of myself or not doing my own practice. Other, I, I find myself sometimes dependent on other people's decisions for my happiness. And I think as you get more into this practice of loving yourself, that happens less. Like you're able to sort of blow off when decisions happen that could affect you negatively, but you lean into it until it turns positive, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So... I, and I felt like that was happening to to you a bit as well. Like, okay, some things didn't happen exactly as you wanted, but then you're able to lean into it and find the positives, and the positives start to happen. Yeah, yeah. Like you wrote this book, for instance. Well, this book is a uh, was written before this year, right? You know, but I worked on it last even... year, but it was, but then during this year, I've been writing it, rewriting it. But by the time I had the surgery, I turned in the final draft. Then it was just galleys where you could just change a word here and there. That was it. But even a year ago, two years ago, whatever. So you, people go through. That's the thing too is people read a self help book, self help book, or they they go on some regime and they think, okay, that's it, I'm done. And but like you said, it's 
it's all the time or else these muscles atrophy. The love yourself muscle atrophies and bad things start to happen again and you have to constantly well, look, I don't know if bad things or good things happen or don't happen. Things are going to happen in life anyway. It's like, who are we being through it? That's the control we have. And who we're being through it, and, and ironically, actually does control a lot of the external. You know, And you know, if storms come, are we broken apart by them? Or do we just ride through them knowing that this is a storm and my ship is stronger than this and I will get through this? So... You know, I am I am curious though about some of the specifics and like in, the, in some of the story that you tell. Like again, you intersperse sort of the the practice and the different nuances, which by the way are amazing. Like you're in the first book from 2012, you're talking about how you you know you pulled yourself up to the mirror and you started repeating love yourself, and gradually you know you through this practice and other practices, you you literally cured yourself from from illness. Here, hey, you're saying a singular now rather than plural. <laughs> you're saying illnesses right, right. before. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't ten plagues; it was mostly <laughs> one or two. But uh, here you have, you know, rituals and 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 exercises and try this. You have so many different like practical things that you and all did. these things that I do. Right, it's that just part of the story. It's not yeah. just like um, you teaching. You're not a teacher in this book. This is your story. I'm but, not a teacher. I'm right. just a guy who does stuff, and I was sharing it. That's it. So, what do you think, like? Why do you think this breakup, I'm just asking you about the story, and, and you address this in the book, and I encourage people, obviously, to to read it and, and, and see how the nuances interspersed, but why do you think this breakup really affected you more than other situations recently? And again, you mentioned before, this wasn't the only thing, you just used this as the story, as kind of the... Yeah, I don't want to get people caught up in, like, breakup. There's a reason why I share that story. I have no desire to share my dirty laundry, Right. But in that process, I also share childhood stuff and all the stuff that came up and how I overcome it. There's a reason for using it. Why this? Why this? Because I loved her, man, and I still do. I love her with everything. When you do, you know, you you're gonna feel. Yeah, but know? but you know, after a certain amount of time, it's 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 too much. You have to move forward. And well, that's it, not what the book is about. The book is about that. I've shared that experience, right? Right. While I was going through it, right. Um, you know, it has to, yeah, I shared that experience of what I was doing to get better internally because it serves the book, it serves the reader. And then was there a moment when you realized, okay, when you started to get more centered and focused on yourself instead of, you know, oftentimes when people have a breakup, they fo- the breakup becomes the center of their mental or emotional universe. And that's the gravitational pull that they're orbiting around. Do you feel like this was a way to kind of pull yourself back to your normal gravitational pull internally on yourself? Well, look, doing the practice is the way to do it. You know, the breakup made me go back to the practice, right? But like, I can do that without a breakup. You know, that's the, that's part of the point of this book is don't coast, you know, like here's how to do it. But look, don't coast because eventually you, you will go back to letting storms defeat you when they really shouldn't. You know, storms are just storms that pass through. And the only thing you control is your insight, is yourself. That's the one thing you can work on. That no matter what, you know, you read about POWs in of in Vietnam, you know, seven years, you know, just what got them through, you know, what get what got um uh Viktor Frankl through Auschwitz, you know. It was, you know, he wrote a, he had a whole uh, psychotherapy called, what was it called? Logotherapy based on it. And that was meaning, right? You people who had meaning, who had purpose were the ones who made it through Auschwitz more more often than people than the ones who gave up or who didn't. It comes down to an internal thing. 
you know, it gave me many different things. Like this book gave gave me meaning to actually get better after the surgery to work on something rather than focus on the pain. You know, uh, so we can have things bigger than us. So for loving myself was one thing I discovered on my own, ac- very accidentally, by the way, never set out to like, you know, never once thought, hey, you know what, what I'd like to do? I'd like to learn to love myself. Like never thought that, never even thought that that was a thing or necessary, right? 2012, who in Silicon Valley was talking about that? I was the guy talking about 2012, actually, funny enough, but after I discovered it. Uh, yeah, now I'm, now I'm rambling. No, no, I mean it's all, it's all relative. It's all, it's all relevant in that. I think for myself, I tend to. I mean, the reason I wrote "Choose Yourself" is because I found myself too dependent on validation from others, and so I said to myself, "It's really important that I essentially love myself instead of having to depend on." the validation of others, whether it was a book publisher or a simple like on Twitter or a woman I was dating or a community of people who were either accepting me or rejecting me. Yeah, like I, I go through it all the time because when you put yourself out there a little bit, you're going to get rejected a lot. You're going to get hurt a lot. You're, if you're going to go on YouTube, you can't read the comments on YouTube because it's always <laughs> like, oh, why are they having this homeless guy on CNBC again? And I'm like, <laughs> not homeless. And... Loving yourself does build kind of a spine so you could stand up to these, you know, trials and tribulations in life. You know, it's also just a beautiful thing to feel. You know, we're feeling creatures. You know, we walk around feeling a lot of crappy emotions during the day. A lot of people say 80%. You think, forget who it was, Jack Hanfield, who's been on this podcast, says you think 50,000 thoughts a day and 40,000 of them are negative. And so, like when you when you work on this practice of loving yourself, a lot of those shift. Why not just give yourself that? If anything, you know, we're we're stuck in our heads anyway. Why not make it just? You know what? I really like my inside. I really like the inside of me. I like the outside of me too. But you know what I'm saying? Like I've been around people who are, by every measure of the world, you know, like you want to envy them. But I've also seen, figured out what their inside is like. I'm like, there's no way I'd, you pay, you could pay me enough money to beat them. I think that's right? the key is sometimes you envy qualities of a person, but when you actually say, oh, what happens if I switch bodies with this person forever and I can't reverse it? There's very, I don't know of anybody I would actually switch with, even if I'm envious of them in certain, I like, in certain I ways. Would, yeah, like I wouldn't want their mind. Like, like, the mind of mine, I've I've grown quite fond of, you know, and I, like like the mind of mine who like who does this stuff, who loves himself, and to feel this way, and even who's gone through hard stuff in life, but then no, it's like shoot, I know better, I got to bounce back, and then works on himself, gets better. I it it's really nice to be able to like yourself on the inside, like like who you are on the inside, and feel that it's a really good way to be. Do you feel that has been growing with you, particularly yeah. like you've been indulging in the material so much, plus bouncing back from all these different like, yeah, because you or... you grow with it. It's like application and reapplication, right? It's it gets stronger and stronger. So, you know? so you've given you gave one um, simple exercise, which is the breathing. So you, do... I would say, if there's that would be if someone's going to do a takeaway and is not going to get the book, that is one thing to do the ten breaths. But I would say, like, look, if you can give it to yourself and do the full practice, and the ten breaths is almost like you're reinforcing it, you're reinforcing it, you're reinforcing it. This is like, 
this this seven years of thought, this book is now like one year in the making. It's seven years of thought, a lot of thinking, a lot of notes that I've taken over the years, and I write a lot, you know, pulling it out and then just really leaving in only what was the gold, you know, that that matters. Um, so if you're gonna do if you're gonna do this, do the whole thing. You owe it to yourself. You know, they go all in. I really believe that. Like if you make a commitment, go all in. If and make a commitment to do this. And why not make a commitment to this? Yeah, it's, it's not going to hurt you. Thing. It's only going to make you better. Love yourself. You know, it's, it's only going to make you better. So what, What? okay, this book, I'm holding the hardcover in my hands. It's, it's out in the bookstores by the time this podcast is released. What's, uh, what are you working on now? That's a good question, I feel man. like you've been going through a transition the past few months. Like now this, you've been working on this book. You've been working on other stuff. All that's kind of taking a break. This book is out, so it, tr- it transforms yeah. your view of this book. I mean, look... Um, Right now I'm healing from the surgery, so I'm just kind of like taking care of myself and healing. And I'm very curious what it's going to be like when this book is out because now I've put out the real version. You know, now I've put out the version that can go globally. They're selling foreign rights like crazy. You know, they're selling foreign rights like in places like in all these different Eastern European countries, then Taiwan, you know, like, and then obviously the, the European countries, but it's really random, like these countries that are coming up that are just getting their hands on the, the, the latest manuscript and are buying it from HarperCollins. Um, so this is the book. I'm so, you know what's amazing, James? I almost left the planet, you know, a couple of months ago, literally a couple of months ago. And part of me still is like, wow, I'm going to get to be around to watch this go out to the world. What will that be like? I have no idea. I'm more curious about that. That what's that going to be like? I I can't wait, and I'm glad to be a part of. it. I'm glad you're on this podcast once again talking about it. I I feel like I played my role in, yes, in the first book. The day it came out, I wrote I wrote an article. I'll do the same here, and uh, uh, I'm excited because I I'm a blue. I sort of feel like we grew up together in some yeah. of these <laughs> concepts, and I'm excited for this to get out there. And and I myself have used your technique. Um, hundreds or thousands of times and it's helped me out when situations have been incredibly bit difficult for me. And so I'm grateful to you, Kamal, for how this has helped me and, and for your friendship and all the times we've talked about these issues either on the podcast or in person or whatever. So love yourself like your life depends on it. Where is this going to be? Is this going to be in bookstores everywhere? Everywhere. <laughs> is it going to be in the airport bookstore? I hope so. They, you know that is, that is interesting. That either you pay to play or you get enough sales, and then they place them there. And is it gonna, you got an audio book, obviously. Yeah, um, I, I I read the whole thing, and th- that was actually like a that's brutal. Like a month and a half after surgery, and this is when I could still when if I stood, I was in a significant amount of pain, and I feel more comfortable standing. I don't like sitting a lot, so I stood and read that thing because I I knew I'd be able to give it more if I stood, and uh, and the and the the producer who's produced like a lot of best-selling audiobooks. I think one he got a Grammy for, I was like, he's like, this is one of the best I've ever done. I'm so, you know, so happy to be a part of this. That was really nice. What else are they doing for uh, marketing this? Uh, they're putting me in the James Altucher podcast. That was that. that was a smart it. decision on their part. Because otherwise, it. they like, haven't called it. me. I wouldn't have let that's you on. That's it. Books out. Go on James's show. That's it. I do think the podcast tour, as opposed to the book tour, is very interesting. But uh, the good thing about a book tour is they put you in the bookstores that they know the New York Times bestseller list looks at. So, is there any sense of of that? Are you going to visit any bookstores? No, uh, none of that. Because also because I was recovering from surgery, they kind of like said like, look, yeah, we want to make you easy. travel a lot. Like, let's just, you know, 
it's like this is a book that's just going to continue to spread and spread and spread. Um, the original version, people are just buying dozens of copies and giving them out. So I think the same is going to happen here. And by the way, this is a much more prettier book than 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 the 2012 book. And honestly, from and, the, and it's and this is forty thousand. How many words altogether is this? This is like ten times bigger than the original. No, book. No, it's thirty six thousand. Okay, so it's four times bigger. Yeah, four and a half times bigger. But like, remember, it's the quality of the content, and like, I've really worked hard to make sure that every word here matters, and. And it really does. And you know, the feedback I've gotten from people, like people at HarperCollins are actually just taking cop, um, bringing copies as gifts for their friends and family for the holidays. And one of them was That's telling great. me, I don't do that with my with the books I work on, you know, but like this, I need to give to my friends and family, which is really sweet. So Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It by Kamal Ravikant. What are, what are five or six other books people should read after they read this? I don't know, man. Just <laughs> depends on what you want in life. Um, what books have you read lately? You know, honestly, I've I've taken a break from reading. I've just been doing a lot of thinking and noodling, and um, uh, I haven't been. I've taken a break from reading because I'm kind of letting my mind just play and expand because it, it's playing over different concepts and maybe what the next thing I'll write, uh, which I'm not sure yet. I'm just letting my mind explore. Well, we've we in the past few months we've explored quite a few. Uh, uh, intense experiences you've had. One is the the your second by second description of almost dying and then recovering from that. And before that, your experiences with um, this uh, very specific sect of Buddhist monks uh, that you spent some time with. Uh, both of those were fascinating episodes. And keep on exploring, Kamal. And I've read this book now twice. I've got notes all over it. Love yourself like your life depends on it. I know I'm going to, so I hope the reader does. And Kamal, once again, thanks for sharing your intense experiences with us. <laughs> thanks for having me again, James. I love you. Thanks, Kamal. 